Hello and welcome back to another exciting episode of Science Snacks. It's me, your science liaison with a face designed for podcasting, Eric. Sometimes there are topics that like there's one bit of research on. <laughs> there's there's one 1970s paper of research on. And other times there's topics where like I have a hard time narrowing down which paper will be the best choice to cover. Um, and this is one of the, the latter topics. Uh, supplements is a big area in the field of like nutrition and uh, sports medicine and like, you know, uh, f- talking about like personal training and things like that, like what people recommend and, and which brands and all that. Um, it is, it is a very controversial topic as, as we always cover here. Um, so the real challenge, and this is covered in our paper today, too little, too late, ineffective regulation of dietary supplements in the United States. This is a paper that was published in March of 2015, uh, by Rahani R. Starr. Um, it's worth saying that regulations around dietary supplements basically haven't changed since then, so this is pretty relevant. Um, if you research things like that, there's there's a, a myriad of papers, especially those starting around 2000, 2007, 2015, like, and this paper is one that's been cited heavily since then. Um, so that's why I chose it as our, our paper for today. Um, this paper talks in depth about the, uh, nature of this, essentially an OSHA and FDA gap. Now, whatever you feel about like the FDA, um, their core premise is one that I think we should all be able to uh, agree with that if something works, if something is a medicine that, that consistently works, then it should be able to prove that it works and it should be able to prove its safety. Now, like, there's a lot of, like, naturalistic individuals who are like, oh, hey, you know, but, but there's these old remedies that, that, you know, aren't FDA approved and things like that. But they're, if we think about something like menthol or, or things like that, like, we understand its mechanism of action. But how much should you administer to someone? If I, you know, put, like, a small dab of menthol on you, like, especially something so watered down that, you know, you wouldn't even be able to feel that. And I say, ah, oh, it's working, you know. Um, it, is it? <laughs> How do you know? Um, but if I dumped you in a vat of menthol, well, I mean, you, you would die. <laughs> That's not, um, so, so somewhere between that, you know, are your, your lowest observable effect concentration, LOEC, or your LD50, which is where half of the people exposed to that amount, that concentration of it, that, that overall uh, volume of, of your drug is, uh, they die. <laughs> That's called your LD50 or lethal dose 50%. Um, and so somewhere between those is what's called the medicinal window where you have something is in its effective range to work and it's, uh, any adverse effects that it has because everything is a poison. The only thing that makes something not a poison is the dose. So within the appropriate dose, it has the minimal amount of negative effects and it has its medicinal properties. Well, the real challenge here is that if something proves that it's safe and effective, generally it becomes an FDA-approved drug. But in the United States, there's this gap between OSHA 
regulations about like, oh, hey, here's what needs to be on like labeling and, and you know, proper production of a thing and uh, FDA requirements of good manufacturing practices and, and you know, uh, proving that your drug works. And so somewhere in between those two requirements there's this gap for you to have like naturalistic holistic or uh, even you know supplementary things that don't need to prove that they work don't even need to prove that they're manufactured well so how big of a deal is this well approximately 150 million people in the united states use dietary supplements in 2015 with 79 percent reporting daily use and 10 percent taking five or more per day i am one of those like i take uh i take you know those one a day for men and things this isn't an advertisement for that they haven't paid me anything um i also take creatine which we'll talk about you know more in a, in a different episode uh but you know that helps with exercise but the problem is that like as we'll see in a minute um you'll see that those things are completely unregulated um so botanical dietary supplements are used by about 17.9 percent that's when you start looking at like things that are that are plant-based uh only let's see uh, a whole bunch of people like say that they're taking it for specific organs to prevent disease, increase energy, improve health, achieve weight loss, and, and other, you know, miscellaneous health issues. Only 22% report using them to supplement their diet. Um, one of the things here, you know, improve mental health, you know, if you take, you know, something like magnesium, there's, there's things like that say that magnesium can, can help your mental state, but a lot of things are like, will improve anxiety or there are these catch all things that don't necessarily do that. Um, specific organs is questionable prevent diseases a lot of people take vitamin c supplements that are well known within the scientific community to be absolutely garbage they don't do anything for you they are a waste of your money um, and what I, I think we might have done an episode on that <laughs> go check out our vitamin c episode so what this paper really does, and this is a master's of public health who wrote this, and, and you know this is a, a topic that they have wonderful citing of their sources for. I am very impressed with, with how this individual uh, wrote the paper and you know uh, discussed all these things. So one of the big issues is that like limited evidence of efficacy exists for dietary supplements. However, there's known safety issues and drug supplement interactions that have been documented. Um, some of the ones that like we've studied well are, are things like that there's huge exercise science research for, like creatine is one of them. Um, there's some stuff about like melatonin to help with sleep. And there's there are like ones that we have moderate amount of research for, but then taking like witch hazel and things like that, like not not the most amount of research. Um one of the things that really gets me is that dietary supplements may be altered with dangerous compounds, may be contaminated or fail to contain the purported active ingredient or contain unknown doses of ingredients stated on the label uh, and be sold at toxic dosages or produce harmful effects as a result of their interactions with other drugs. One of the well-known problems here is that sometimes drugs can be laced with, uh, you know, 
bad substances like or things that are banned. One of the things in the uh, exercise community for like power lifters and stuff, you want to make it seem like your stuff uh, produces, you know, oh, amazing strength results and things. It is not an uncommon practice for them to be laced with illicit drugs um, that, that, you know, might produce a, a bigger response from you, you know. Um, things like testosterone that that you know when you take the drug maybe it's not uh the the particular drug is making you stronger perhaps it's an illegal regulated substance that has been laced at an unregulated amount inside of it these things don't have to be tested um one of the pieces that they have here that alone is worth this paper um, was that uh, purported dosages. Um, so, for example, vitamin D3 is widely available at 50,000 international unit doses, with a supplement label stating that each dose provides 12,500% of the daily recommended value. When the daily recommended value is undetermined, supplements may be marked without this information. And so they continue back with this uh, QA, this quality assurance discussion. And they again bring up the vitamin D3, which is commercially available and has wide deviations with pill potency ranging from 9% to 146% of the stated concentration. That means that maybe, let's say that it says, you know, I let's say that you had a, something there that says, oh, there's 100 milligrams in this. And you take one pill and you only actually are getting nine milligrams. Um, and let's say you take another pill and you get 146 milligrams. That's wild. And there's some that are like more known for this than others. Um, just as a point of example, um, there was a separate paper that I have pulled up here, which is uh, ectosteroids as non-conventional anabolic agents, performance enhancement by uh, ectodysterone, Supplementation in Humans. Uh, this was uh, released in Archives of Toxicology in July of 2019. Um, this one discussed uh, a, a recent drug that was of interest as uh, bodybuilders and you know strength training individuals that um, doesn't have a lot of actual good science behind it, but you know gain traction in that way that you know things can get hyped up unnecessarily. Um, when they tested these drugs, it was purported to have 100 milligrams, right? what did it actually have after being lab tested? Six milligrams. A single pill <laughs> had six milligrams. And there's already not a whole lot of information about it. But let's say uh, that the actual recommended dose was 100 milligrams. And you're actually only getting six. You're being lied to. Your money's being wasted. And that's the problem with these, these supplements is that the quality assurance isn't there. It doesn't have to be. You can say, oh, this has ectodysterone in it, and or ectodysteroids, or even vitamin D in it. And guess what? You don't have to prove it. And that's the real problem, is that to challenge that requires, you know, quality assurance, requires labs, requires testing, requires averaging, requires accepted deviations. And the law doesn't require that. Um, so, so that's a huge problem, um, as opposed to like F, uh, FDA inspected items, which require uh, CGMP or current good manufacturing practices and regulations that allow for a very small, a tight window of regulation about like their potential deviations. Um, 
which is is how it ought to be like plus or minus two percent or plus or minus you know five percent whatever the the tight regulation is um but the problem is okay so how how big of a of a problem is this um well between 1994 and 2012, despite thousands of supplements introduced to the U.S. markets, the FDA received sufficient notification of new ingredients on only 170 supplements, representing only the tip of the iceberg. Uh, and then it talks about how identifying violators is difficult. Over 10 months in 2013, the FDA issued warning letters to 37 manufacturers, about 55 products considered dangerous or adulterated. It is so much much effort to go through and double check these people especially when they're producing so much so high of rate like each company has you know so many different uh different items that they are going to produce and advertise and there's just more on the shelf more options available than than the fda can crack down and test so this is a different type of paper than what we usually test and something that I thought was very interesting to go through. Papers like this are usually written by a single individual or a handful of individuals, usually less than five. Um, I, usually you see like one or two um, people are written in a way that is a review of, of like the current data, but also almost written like a persuasive argument. This paper emphasizing this problem of regulation in the supplement market. Um, while we have data about some supplements, many supplements are, un we, we have no, they're unknown. <laughs> That's a problem. And then especially when you don't know exactly what kind of dose you are getting. Um, I once overdosed on caffeine because I took some hydroxy cut and uh, it, one, one pill had a lot of it that pushed me over my daily limit and I laid in bed and uh, my heart rate was 180 beats per minute for eight hours. Finally, at like the end of eight hours, I had so slowly tightered down to about 120 beats per minute. And that was me laying in bed doing nothing. That's messed up. That's pretty bad. And so we can see that this is a, a problem that the, uh, the Masters of Public Health, uh, uh, Rahani R-Star, is, uh, is talking about here. And I think that it's a genuinely pretty neat topic. Um, and I hope that you give this paper uh, a check out and I hope that, you know, maybe this changed your opinion on supplements or maybe you, you can take, you know, someone's supplementation suggestions with a bit of a grain of salt, um, or look for manufacturers that actually have regulated testing, third party testing of their stuff. And as always, science should change our opinions and and make us smarter about what we do but hey that's enough for me thanks for listening and hey don't forget your safety glasses